0: never sure how soon i should uh invite you to speak i should stop the song if i should let it go all the way through if i should stop it and say hi but i figure you know we're here i should at least say hi to you uh how is everyone hello friends it's good to see you well virtually
1: yes good to see all of you happy to be here
0: Yes, we are. Ab- we're so happy to have you. I'm so excited because, um, you know, I've said this before here on on Twitter that like Connie, I was able to speak to you at your your um, talk a couple of Tuesdays ago, and it was really fascinating to listen to your relationship with AI. So I am really excited to get to know you a little bit better. Um, Amanda Krishna, how are you, loves? So good. Um,
2: how do you send out the message? Sometimes you, like, send it to me in my my DMs.
0: You have to go to the that. little thing on top that's, like, a an arrow coming out of a little basket or something right next to the leave.
2: Okay. Okay. I'm going to send this out to some people.
3: While Anonymous does that, Um, Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I am very excited to be here. Um, Lindsay and I got to chat some yesterday, but I'm excited to be talking to all of you, and it's so nice to meet you, Connie. Yes. Thank you for (laughs) taking out the time to chat with us.
1: Of course. Thank you for making space.
3: Yeah, Lindsay said some really great things about you and I'm I'm super interested in learning more about you as a person and uh, the art that you create
0: awesome well I can't wait to dive in yeah absolutely before we do that I want to actually go back into um the not another blank uh Oh no! You posted this directly, uh, anonymous. I thought you had shared one of her, um, one of her posts when you posted that into our not another blank uh, group where it's all of her works. I wanted to post that up because that's such a good combo of things that she did. I
2: know.
0: Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post it in here before we start. All right. And then I do no, Okay, there it is. Not this time. I just added that and I'm going to pin it here so that anybody who watches this sees that because it is beautiful. Okay, do you guys want to jump in? Let's do it. Yeah,
2: we get some views just so Connie knows. I know it's empty, but we do get views afterwards. People watch the recording.
1: Oh no, I'm not worried. I yeah, I I myself am a frequent like recording, read or watcher listener, so I get it.
0: Oh good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I guess just to start. We're gonna ask you what three words do you think others use most to describe you in Web three? I don't know about me as a
1: person, um, but I've heard my work called everything from erotic to terrifying to tender. And, you know, honestly, I'm okay with that spectrum. I think there can be like a bit of a Rorschach effect that goes on with AI-generated imagery. And I think the read actually tells more about the viewer than the artist sometimes. And I think I'd like to think that in that sense, my work challenges people to ask deeper questions about themselves.
3: I love that because... Um, in one of the – actually, in the one that's pinned here, there's one image that really triggers me because there's, like, a fear of something, um, like, personal. And I was like, oh, my gosh, when you said that, I was like, that's so true because it, it triggered something inside of me that really nobody else would have seen. <laughs> so that was a that. great first answer. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs>
1: I like triggering people. What can I say?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not, it wasn't bad or anything. Don't worry. it just, it was, it was funny that you know, it, it was literally just a few minutes ago that I looked at the that I looked at the picture and I like had all these feelings come up, and then now we're like talking about it. It was just kind of like a,
1: a full circle. <laughs> I love it. I really love it.
2: <laughs> yes, we um we also do like a little like a poetry space and and some of the the people there are a little dark and so I was trying (laughs) to explain your work I was like trust me like it's right up your alley I don't know how to explain it in words but like you'll get it (laughs) (laughs) nice so we we like to start uh right at the beginning um how do you start your day oh my god coffee always coffee
1: and um, if I'm up early enough, you'll also catch me reading a book or playing the piano. I've been a bookaholic and a classical musician most of my life. And I have to say that reading or playing still sets my head on straight at the beginning of each day.
2: That's- that is fabulous. The girls probably will catch on to this. But so we ask everyone that, that question. Um, and some of the most successful people that we have had on here have started uh, something very similar, one actually also with reading, um, but doing a very healthy, um, you know, self care activity. Um, So that's amazing. And some of us here probably should be doing that instead (laughs) of the Less self care, less helpful um, activities that we start with. So that's awesome.
0: Amanda and I like to eat candy for breakfast. So <laughs>
2: <This> <laughs> is oh, true. I, I gotta admit
1: that the temptation is there sometimes. And I think if I if I it's like a weekend, then you know maybe I'll sneak a I don't know like a fruit roll up or something I steal from my, from my kid.
2: <laughs> Heck yes, awesome! You are normal after all.
1: Yes, so normal. I swear, so normal I'm boring. It's great. <laughs> Sorry,
3: guys. I was having some technical difficulties. Um, <clears throat> what are you most excited about these days, Connie? You know,
1: I think my most of my life revolves around my art. And I, I think I'm getting more interested in bringing the digital and physical aspects of my practice back together. Um, you know, Before I started working with AI and digital art, I was actually a transmedia artist and I was... Um, I spent a lot of time building physical spaces, objects, experiences, and performances. So, you know, um, I I hate the term fidgetal because it just sounds so wrong, but I'm really excited to think about the different ways that this intersection of digital and physical can now manifest within Web3 and the NFT space and preferably beyond digital projections and physical spaces. That would be amazing.
3: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I... I used to work in real estate before um, fully diving into Web3, and it's funny how your answer resonates with me so much because, um, you know, you you talk about the intersection of, of, you know, digital art and physical art, and we always talked about how we could um, bring more or less um digital footprints into spaces to really curate human experiences but really art plays such a big role in physical spaces and so um how do you mesh digital and physical art together to create that um blend in a physical space so that people can um live more creatively or like just you know how we can help them broaden their perspective so that's that's really really cool and um Kind of reminded me of a few years ago when I used to work in real estate.
1: I love that. I love
3: also, um, Lindsay and I were chatting yesterday, and we—it's um, it, funny that you said physical art. It seems so um, like a no duh in hindsight. But we were like, what do we call like real art? We were, and I was like, the phrase that I came up with was like IRL art. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and now hearing you say physical art, I'm like, oh no duh, that's what it's called.
0: I mean, fidgetal is, like, number one, my favorite new word. Like, fidgetal, I'm never going to not say that. You have (laughs) given me something to annoy my husband with. And I'm very excited about that. Okay, so, Connie, what was either your first NFT or your favorite NFT? Your choice. Hmm. My first...
1: You know, actually, I'm going to say, talk about a little bit about my favorite. And the fact is, I can't say that I have one. And it's really because I've collected a bunch of pieces over the last several months. And I spend a lot of time sitting with each of them um, or one of them, depending on my mood. And it really comes down to my mood. And I, I think that's kind of the beauty of the NFT format, where you can have this intimate encounter with a piece of art on your own time and your own terms.
0: Oh, that's lovely. I really like that. So do you have a a top five, maybe, that you find yourself drawn to?
1: Oh, you know, I'm just always... It really comes down to the story, the storytelling and the concept behind the art. Um, I can say one of my recent acquisitions was one that came out of the Verseverse, which is a... Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but it was founded... It's a, it's a group... Uh, that talks about poetry as an art form. And they've really been making incredible waves in Web3. Um, it, it was founded by Sasha Stiles, um Iwamoto, and Ana Maria Caballero. Um, and, uh, you know, they, collab- they, they foster and cultivate these and curate these collaborations between artists and poets. And one of these collaborations was um, involved um, Christian Schobrock Uh, as well as Sarah Ridgely and Giselle Flores. And it's called 50 Days at Ilium, um, where it was informed by a set of Cy Cy Twombly paintings um, that, uh, you know, were about um, Homer's, you know, Homer's Iliad. Um, But, you know, they, basically the work that came out of it, this collection is this beautiful mix of generative, imagery and words where you can't really distinguish between what's image and what's text and it has this kind of like divination and oracular quality about it that I've really really enjoyed and I yeah so that was just one of my recent ones.
0: Wow that's awesome I'm definitely gonna have to look into that because that sounds amazing. Um, Amanda go ahead and take us.
2: Yeah and that's right up. Lindsay's Ali I don't know if you know that she um is a poet as well and is combining um I don't want to say so digital or AI art with poetry so that's really cool that you're into that too so is she um so we talked about what you um you really like in in art and nfts Um, Do you have a guilty Web3 pleasure that's not (laughs) as cool sounding as your previous answer, maybe?
1: Oh, man. Um, You know, I think pleasure is only guilty if you don't own up to it. So I'm just going to say that first. And um, I I have to say this actually stems from my previous answer, but I get a lot of pleasure out of lurking (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know and I by by lurking I mean like scrolling through media feeds interviews and web searches of a lot of the artists I collect and it's mostly because they're you know it's not so much like a celebrity fetish kind of thing Um, and I like you know I'm from LA so I kind of have to hearken to that. But there are just so many rich artistic practices out there that tend to be masked over by this output focus of the Web3 marketplace. And I think more often than not, it's this critical and conceptual thinking behind the art that I see that I'm most interested in. So I guess that's kind of a guilty pleasure, the lurking. (laughs)
2: That's awesome. Who are who, who are some of your celebrity crushes? Oh god. I am <laughs> like not art crushes. That. <laughs> I will not divulge my list. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. That wasn't the question on the list, so we'll let it go. <laughs> oh, but I will say, as far as Hollywood celebrities go, uh
1: Jeff Goldblum will always be at the top of my list.
2: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me for some reason.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm an open book. <laughs>
2: Um,
3: Next, we have, um, we're we're shifting gears a little bit, but what have you been focused on lately?
1: Well, you know, while the work that I release is visual, I find myself more and more entangled in the mechanics of language. Um, And I think this really comes out of the text-based interfaces of more AI models now. I, Lindsay knows this, but I have a really difficult relationship with language having grown up in an immigrant household between two first languages. And it was only when I first started working with AI that I found this new vernacular to talk about the unspoken, the, unde, the undefinable and the invisible aspects of language, as well as this basically a life that's, that was lived between words and worlds. And so it's usually through the, you know, the codification and the decodification of the relationships within language that I have these conversations with the machine, um, whether it be within, you know, natural language processors like GPT-3 or within an image synthesis model. Um, And I think in the big picture of things, um, I think a lot of my focus really looks at this post-colonial identity crisis and finding ways to reconcile it pa- just across past and future and to really place it within, a, I guess, a global and a technological context. Um, and you know, I have to say, I think language has historically played this heavy hand in the act of colonialism. So it, it's, it tends to codify a lot of social and political ideologies and hierarchies that still persist today. So I think my process where I deconstruct language within AI models, um, really just stems out of my need to confront myself, my histories, and really where my identity lives today.
3: That's super interesting. So I'm, I'm curious, um, can you walk us through what that process is like and how you do that?
1: It, it'll depend on the project, but for Mm. example, um, I had a collaboration with the museum of hermuted art, um, mm-hmm. which is a digital museum and platform that um, works with NFT artists to breathe new life into historical works of art. Mm-hmm. And um, for that, we were exploring the, these Chinese tomb guardians that were sculptures that were placed in imperial um, tombs to ward off demons, but also prevent spirits of the dead from wandering the earth. But You know, with that process, there was just such a rich catalog of information and history and mythology around these sculptures that I brought that into a language model to as a kind of a training set and had conversations with AI about um, just doing a deep dives into like what you know how these histories and these narratives could translate into something more visual. And then out of those conversations, I parsed out and extracted certain um, phrases that really kind of caught on to me and started bringing them into, you know, text to image models. Um, And, you know, from there, like I would, I would, you know, swap, I would either start with a different, uh, with an initial image and apply the text prompt and then, you know, kind of start guiding piece, uh, I guess, go through different iterations of, I guess, affecting the output image with different snippets of the conversation. And so in a lot of ways, it was a recursive process where the final image would retain kind of the history and the memory of the conversations um, prior.
3: That's so interesting. So let's say if you're working with a specific museum that has um historical pieces from a certain time period you almost have like these stories um that go along with hypothetically all of the pieces um and like you can really like that within itself is its own work of art that's kind of how I'm thinking about it
1: oh absolutely I that's so cool the narrative has to be tied into the art form itself and that uh-huh. into the art piece itself and I think that's why I've Like with that project in particular, it was such that information and that history was Mm -hmm. so crucial to the process.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. I have uh, diverged a lot from our list, but
0: I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I told you guys she was going to be fascinating.
2: (laughs) Really, really cool. Yeah, I seriously didn't know how it worked, like how you could have ever like made the things that you make with just word prompts. So it's really cool to hear that someone not knowing anything about like generative AI art. That's really cool. It kinda gives me chills a little bit. I I
1: think I gotta say though, I I think everybody, everyone who works with AI, you ultimately have to find your own language and relationship with the machine to draw out something that's that kind of still retains your voice as an artist. So in that sense it becomes like a more of a true collaboration as opposed to relying on either an input or an output.
3: So oh. on that, sorry, Connie, go ahead. No, 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 that's it. Go ahead. Oh, um, my, my, my follow up question to that is like how, I guess, you know, I, I'm also, I have a, English is not my first language. And so even today, like um, coming up with the right words is sometimes um, in, in, in English is like a little bit challenging. Um, and sometimes those words don't go as deep in my mother tongue as they do in English. And so there's always this discrepancy. Um, and for you to like find the exact right words, I mean, what's that process like? Um, because I feel like in order to create exactly what you see, you have to be very, um, articulate.
1: Uh, I would actually argue for the opposite. Because mm. I find that the more specific you are in working with AI, in a lot of mm. ways, the more unnatural the outputs are going to be. Mm. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I, I try to give a lot of agency to the machine, but feed mm-hmm. you know, it more abstract, more abstractions of emotion and feeling, which is something that he, he, we as humans have a strength yeah. in. Um, and, you know, kind of guide it and, or work with it to kind of, identify through this process what i what i'd love to see you mm. know that's why it's, it's like this ongoing feedback loop and back and forth with the machine um as opposed to me providing very specific language and you know saying oh i want to see this unicorn sitting under the tree under a tree by the Thames
0: river you know
3: <laughs> yeah yeah totally that's so fascinating wow
0: and i i totally understand what you mean by um it it being a back and forth so that it can really create something that is your expression instead of just the generic. Because if you go to mid-journey, which is an AI generation uh, I don't know, platform, um, you can see a lot of people's work. And as it's being made, it just looks generic. It looks like mid-journey art. But when you really start to incorporate it, like like even this little four square right here that we've pinned, it has a very Connie vibe. You can see by the art that, like, I-, I could infer that that's from you, and so it is very interesting to see that that actually really makes a big difference. You can have your personality seep into these arts that are are made by robots. <laughs> Thank so you. that's really cool. Thank you. I'm glad you see that in my work. It means a lot. Of course. So moving on, I guess what is... Sorry, my my husband was just calling me. Um, What is the best or most recent compliment you've received?
1: No, actually today, um, this wonderful artist, David Lisser, just wrote a thread on my practice and process. And first, I was just so flattered that he took the time to research and digest my body of work. Um, but one of the things he noted was that my work, quote unquote, rewards the attentive viewer. And I really, really loved that. Um, he and I chat in DMs every now and again. And in one of our last chats, he pointed out that my work is is layered and it's complex. And I was really happy to hear that he read this in my art. I think it's, it's tempting to place the art that we see in Web3 at face value. And it, it just means a lot to me to hear people do the deep dive into my concepts and thinking to really take the time to sit with my work and I think discover the stories behind it.
0: That's so sweet. And so you're, you're absolutely right. I feel like a lot of web three, not only is it shallow, but it's fast. So awesome. everybody's moving on to the next thing, on to the next thing. So for somebody to really take their time with your art, that's beautiful. I love yeah. that. that.
1: That
2: totally made my day today. <laughs> yeah. You need to, to, tag us in that so I would love to read that first of all and when we write write the the bios for you know our our posts that we're gonna do we try to avoid like you know categorizing anyone so when I was writing it it's funny the words that you mentioned people call your art as erotic and terrifying (laughs) literally what I have in a draft post was visceral and romantic oh my gosh I love that that's so great (laughs) like that's what that's what it sort of came up to me and so I have to follow up on the best compliment that you received and ask, what is like the weirdest thing that someone has told you like your art reminds them of or like a weird weird compliment the
1: weirdest thing you know at some point I did Sometimes in my Twitter posts, I'll do, you know, kind of mid process work, not and where the images are actually mid diffused. And sometimes they just come across as this haze with really indistinct images. And at some point I I posted one that I thought was really just totally nondescript. And somebody followed up and said, oh, that looks like a hippopotamus to me. And I was like, oh, once again, Rorschach strikes again. Um, I was not expecting that, but hey, that's, that's AI art for you,
2: mid-process or not. <laughs> yeah, you have a zookeeper fan, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. Must be what it is. Um, so you've actually talked about this a little bit already uh, as far as being inspired by language and you know that really cool historical sort of artifacts project that you did. But what are you most inspired by just in a general sense?
1: You know, I'm, um, I'm a boy mom to a three-year-old who really delights in not only asking why incessantly, but also in destroying the world around him to just, just to understand it. And I have to say, there's, it can be a little bit, you know, tough to, tough to wrangle and clean up after, but there's something pretty magical about seeing the world through his eyes. And I have to say, I think his curiosity and his lack of inhibition just totally inspires and informs a lot of my artistic processes these, these days.
2: So does he have like the 105 pack of Crayola crayons, having an artist mom?
1: He, it's, it's markers now. He's, he's graduated to markers, um, though I don't know if ne- necessarily know if that was the best decision on my part. But yes, he loves to draw. He can sit and draw for hours, and it's, it's pretty amazing to see.
2: That's really cool.
1: Yeah, that is really cool. One of our last speakers also um, talked
3: about their children in, in this question, and it's um, it's um, heart-opening and eye-opening to, to view things in, in their eyes. Um, what are three things that you can't live without?
1: Um, I'm kind of a film nerd, so bear with me, but in the words of Princess Vespa from the classic film Spaceballs, that would be my industrial strength hair dryer, and I can't live without it. Um, I have this and I have this ridiculous obsession with my hair, which is ridiculously long because I have a Samson complex about cutting it because somehow I get the feeling if I cut it, I'm gonna lose my creative superpowers. And I totally have to blame Clarissa Pinkola Estes and her book, Women Who Run With the Wolves for my superstition. Um, Other things I can't live without, again, coffee and also childcare options. Um, As I mentioned, I'm a mom to a very, very rambunctious child who my life revolves around. And if I didn't have the amazing and wonderful help of preschool and occasional babysitters, there's just no way I would be able to pursue my art on any terms.
3: That was such a balanced answer. Um, <laughs> I, I, like seriously, I love it. There was um, you brought in like almost all aspects of your life. That was that was cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you for sharing
0: that, there. <laughs> it's funny that you bring up your hair because I remember when I met you at your talk, um, your friend was behind you. Uh, braiding your hair, oh God, yes. <laughs> do you remember you were walking around with her trailing behind? It was really cute. I loved.
1: That. <laughs> There's it's something about like long hair, but like a lot of my a lot of my friends just love playing with it. and I don't mind it so much. It feels kind of nice sometimes.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, totally. If my friends were here, like, can I braid your hair? Yes, you yes. can. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? That would be sleep,
1: eat, and do the work. Um, I think for me, all three are interrelated and really can't function without each other. I think that'll probably be the shortest answer I'll give you tonight. <laughs> it's so funny how quick we are to ignore the basics, though.
3: Like, it's oh, so okay. important, you know? Like, someone someone the other day um, was, like, just, you know, like someone's head was hurting. They were like, don't freak out. Just drink some water. And that person was like, oh my God, I haven't had water since last night. You know what I mean? like, um, So it's it's funny how quick we are to ignore the basics and just um, get caught up with, with everything that's going on around us. So I thought that answer was perfect.
1: Great. <laughs> I'm glad it resonated with you. Yeah. I think it's really easy to get caught up in the pace of life, especially when you're kind of living in web three, but even outside of web three, I think it's kind of a a social norm to just kind of live outside of our bodies, you know?
3: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Um, Amanda, go ahead. Okay, so now we get deep. Um, Your your best piece of advice we talked about and was there ever a time um, that you almost gave up and what made you keep going?
1: I'm kind of an obsessive personality, so it's not typically within me to give up. But I will say, um, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but before I started work with like working with AI, I had built this transmedia art practice. And when the pandemic hit, I found myself completely shut off from the resources and the venues of making and exhibiting. And I really had to have this come to Jesus moment where I had to confront myself and what I wanted to do and the questions I wanted to ask myself within an artistic practice. And I think AI coming into my life was actually a godsend because it became a way for me to challenge myself to learn a new medium while translating you know, aspects of my sensorial experience and lens into a digital plane. And I have to say, the process has just really helped me to grow as an artist and I think as a person.
2: So had you never done AI art like before the pandemic or had you dabbled a little? I, you know what, when I
1: started working with AI art last year, you know, it was in a completely different state of affairs where there were very, very few text to image models. And um, ultimately you had to know code to be able to even interface um, with AI. But I was fortunate enough um, to have been invited into an art meets tech incubator um where they were working with some of the most you know cutting edge ai tools at the time um and like uh, i i I think we were kind of uh, i guess a little bit early on in the process because ai art hadn't even really hit the nft scene or the web 3 scene um So that was, yeah, last year, it it seems like a long time ago, but last year, I think, was when AI art started becoming, only just started to become increasingly mainstream. Though I will say, like, historically, you you could argue that AI art has an algorithmic art and machine learning has been around for decades, but we won't get into that. That's a little too esoteric, I
2: think. (laughs) That is so crazy that it's so new. I didn't really know that. And so... When you started, you you mentioned like really pivoting your business and and getting into that accelerator. But what you could have pivoted to anything, right? So what drew you to this?
1: I think you know the the person who invited me, the head of the incubator, is a uh, was a friend of mine called Phil Boshua, and he's an incredible technologist and like a serial entrepreneur. And he had been talking with AI through GPT three and you know, I was kind of confiding with him at the time. And I was saying, like, I was just telling him about how I, I, I was kind of reevaluating my practice. And, he, you know, he said, you know, let me just put these models in your hands and, you know, give it a try. Um, I, I'm sorry, I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But did, did it, that answer the question?
2: Yeah, your pivot. So it seems like it was just kind of like random.
1: It, it was could... serendipitous in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I think the opportunity certainly presented itself. And I just kind of had to, um, you know, start working with AI through my own lens to kind of find the direction that I wanted to head in.
2: That's really cool.
3: That's, that's the the best things happen serendipitously, man. That's, that's awesome. Um, What we're we're bringing it back to web three here. What annoys you about web three or what's your biggest pet peeve?
1: I think it's the same peeve that comes with every new technology platform. Um, I think there's this false idea that everything about it is unprecedented and never before seen and, Honestly, I think it's just a silly notion that perpetuates reinventing the wheel and falling into patterns of behavior that turned us all off about the previous technologies and platforms, right? And I, so I like this perspective of standing on the shoulders of giants and recognizing that there's a history that we're building on that comes with its own successes and failures that we can learn from. And I think we can only actually create something new when we understand where we're coming from that's so
3: important. Um, when Lindsay and I were chatting yesterday, uh, we were talking about how to best like um, market and um, uh, just like, you know, talk about Web3. And one of the things that occurred to me was, it's like, it's best not to use the Web3 terms and the lingo and the like blockchain and like all of these terms, because those are the new terms that throw people off, I think, especially just like normal people who just want to like use technology for the advancement of society. And I think what I found in my work is like, it's so much better to just kind of move forward and say like, this is what we're doing. And this is the problem that we're solving without kind of the words and the fluff, because then it makes people less apprehensive to um, to like see what it's about and try it out um, and tying into what you said like you know there's history behind it I think you know leaving off those words helps us tap into that history more so that we can um, kind of see where it came from and, and where it's going.
1: Yeah I think there's definitely a danger to using jargon in that sense too. um fully agree with you there. So yeah I, I think I think we're all savvy enough to recognize that. We want honest communication with each other. Uh, We don't have to kind of fall victim to these, to the shilling and the marketing ploys, right? We can Mm -hmm. just talk to each other as
0: human beings. (laughs) That's the hope (laughs) anyway.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's also an aspect of this where it's like people are, are so afraid of AI as something that is going to take over and, and now, you know, art is is like has less integrity and things like that when it's like it's just a continuation like anything else. It's just a continuation of before people had to do things with rocks and then we created pencils and then we put ink inside of pens. And then we so it's just that continuation forward. And I think that that's really important for people to remember. Um Moving on, we just did pet peeves. There we are. Uh, What, in your opinion, is the best thing to happen in Web3 this year? This always gets a good.
1: Mm, Honestly, I have to say every time a a quote unquote crypto winter comes around, it's actually a really, really good thing for the space um i think it's an amazing time without distractions where you can you know as an artist you can create art and also focus on building relationships like actual relationships
0: with others in the space it is so funny that you said that because both of our other guests said the same thing they're like well <laughs> kind of in a way the bear market is the best thing to have happened because it gets rid of all the people who are just here to flip or who aren't here because they love the technology or the community and it gets out all of the over excitement and the over sell and the overbuy and the whatever I'm like everybody's everybody's happy about the bear market in here
1: yeah it's funny and i have to say like i will say i'm i'm, I'm busier than ever now just like creating and making and like you know meeting new friends and so it, it i love it i honestly love it
2: isn't it funny that it forces you to get back to basics like you mentioned the relationship building and that's like the basis of like marketing oneself, right? And how did we lose that when we weren't in the bear market? How did we lose <laughs> sight of that? It's so obvious.
1: Yeah, that's silly.
2: So um you mentioned uh your crush on Jeff Goldblum, but mm-hmm. what is something <laughs> else that people don't know about you?
1: Um, you know, I, I identify as an artist first and foremost, but there was a period of my life where I was a biomedical engineer in neuroscience, um, where I was working with songbirds to understand the development of vocal language in the brain. Um, so I, that's something that I think not a lot of people know about me, but I, I, I have to say it probably influences my work right now.
2: What? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> crazy. I would never, you don't hear, so like, I'm not going to ask the other, I'm going to, we have a question about this, but so you just had a completely other life before. Oh, Uh, I have lived so many different lives, you would not believe. (laughs) That is so crazy because, I I mean, I guess you're really, you know, you talked about language and, and, and reflecting and the songbird thing. I guess it ties in, but that's crazy. That's like a super pivot. (laughs) multiple super pivots
1: i've lived a very meandering life but no regrets definitely no regrets
0: (laughs) and yet somehow like like what amanda just said somehow it does all fit it's like you're you know what it is you're like one of those thought webs where you're connie in the center and you have that brand but over here there's linguists of birds and over here there's linguists of multiple languages and over here is linguists of ai and it's just all, <laughs> all over it. i am just a web
1: of intricate comp- complexities yes, yes. <laughs>
3: This ties in nicely with our next question. We talked about everything that, not everything, but a few things that you've done in the past, but what do you not want to be doing in five years?
1: I can't see a world or a future where I'm not working on my own terms and my own time. I think despite my, I think through my meanderings, I've spent a lot of my life and career ensuring that I can continue to do what I do sustainably. And I think it would just be a step back to not have this kind of creative and financial autonomy.
3: That's a great answer. I resonate with that completely. And I think um, more and more of the world um, continues to move that way. So hopefully we can all support each other in, in creating that for each other. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it definitely does take a take community to be able to do that. So I I like that you brought that up.
0: Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. Uh and it is interesting cuz that's kind of one of the things that I've I've noticed here just with this community is like um the more that you guys succeed, the more that I see everybody else succeed, the more that I find that I have started to su- succeed as well. And so it's just very beautiful and very communal. Um, flipping over to a a less fun, uh, lighthearted thing. What is one thing that you had to learn the hard way?
1: I think this kind of goes back to one of my one of the previous questions. But you know, I used to have this naive invincibility complex in my 20s that had me thinking I could burn the oil at both ends and get on without self-care. And I would just go through these cycles of burnout that forced me to be more disciplined about taking care of my body and my mind so that I could just consistently do my best work.
0: I totally feel that. I'm pretty sure all of us here have have experienced the same thing. Lately, I've been on myself because I have not been eating until, like, Two or three in the afternoon. And I know that that's something that I hear other people say too, where they just get lost in their work and then they wake up and they haven't eaten in hours and things like that. So, yeah, I I am uh, learning that one with you, I think. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's an important one for sure.
2: So now I get to ask um, the really fun question You have lived so many lives. What did you want to do? when you were 12 like what did and I put this I think in one of our posts like um that I might have deleted it but like I wonder what 12 year old Connie Bakshi like was thinking if she would have imagined that she would have been making these like feathery romantic visceral (laughs) AI arts at 12 like what was your life plan
1: Oh, my God. You know, I'll be totally honest. I had no idea. And I I still have no idea what I want to do when I grow up, like, honestly. (laughs) But I will say I I, I think I always had a lot of questions. Um, And I think there's always been this restless curiosity that's shaped this path, this really windy, crazy, divergent path that is my life. Um, I'm pretty sure that drove my parents nuts, um, since they were pretty dead set on me becoming a doctor. But, you know, then again, I was a biomedical engineer for a little while. So, you know, I'll call that even in the books.
2: Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, so I, I will, I will just follow up. So we know why you did the the pivot from, um, what are we calling it, organic art, <laughs> real <Inner> life art? <laughs> Physical art. Physical. physical art physical art physical uh, art to ai but what where did you make that pivot from bioengineer to you know event space like yeah installation type art
1: that's that's another decade decades long story but um i you know after i graduated from engineering i i worked in research labs for a while. Um, And then I, you know, I decided to make the pivot into working with biotech and pharma, where I was doing operations management and a certain level of recruiting. Um, But it was really my ops management and business management experience that brought me into working with creative agencies, where I saw all this like, amazing, creative work happening around me. And I was getting super inspired, and, um, you know, decided to go back to school. But for experiential design. So I went to school at Art Center in Pasadena and um you know really focused on like building a skill set that was focused on the physical um and the interactive and experiential components of of design. Um and so I think then when I when I graduated from there, you know, I well, There were a few other things I did, but ultimately, soon thereafter, I started an art practice um, that was trying to find ways to translate a lot of this, the experiential design background and and experience into more of an artistic and conceptual lens.
2: So again, all of the web tied together, it seems very, very cohesive. And you, you know, you called it kind of like a rambling journey, but
1: starting to all make sense it felt rambling in the, when I was in the middle of it but you know in retrospect everything's a lot more clear right <laughs> yeah
3: you mentioned that your parents wanted you to be a doctor and that's a pretty uh, self-explanatory profession <laughs> but what do your friends and family think you do now
1: yeah they're all pretty aware that I create art um through ai though i have to say they have varying levels of understanding of how it works within the nft and the web3 space but um everybody's been pretty supportive so i feel pretty fortunate in that sense
0: wow that's really nice um because i know you know in in some cases a lot of of parents when they have high expectations of their kids sometimes it's hard to let go so that's uh, really beautiful to me that not only did you like you know accomplished what they were hoping for you to accomplish, but they also accepted when you turned your, your uh, focus into something more creative and artistic and expressive. And I just think that's beautiful. That's really cool.
1: I will say my, I think it was maybe sometime, uh, some months ago I was chatting with my parents and, you know, they were, they were kind of going through this weird self-reflection and they were saying, man, you know, we were just such control freaks. We should have just like let you do your thing. And you probably would have ended up like as an artist sooner. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, it all just kind of ties back together in the end, anyway. But um, it, I think my parents have come around quite a bit since you know I was twelve.
0: <laughs> that is very funny. When, whenever you get older and your parents have calmed down because they're not as stressed as well, they're you know they're doing their best. I, I get it, but you always end up like, wait, where was this person when I was young? Oh, I Hang know. On. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay, So if there was one thing that you could change about Web3, Connie, what would that be?
1: You know, because so much of art sits within Twitter, it can be really difficult to contextualize it, um, which I think is a really important component of viewing and understanding the intention of an artist. And I think more often than not, this contextualization comes from things like process, writings and exhibitions that don't necessarily fall within the 280 character limit of Twitter. Right. Um, So I'm actually really excited by, you know, projects that are in development, like um, Sparrow Reads, the platform that talks about linking these kinds of contextual assets and writings to. An NFT token. Um, I think that's a pretty exciting change that could really shift the notion of what an NFT is within the Web three space.
2: It's interesting. You again, everything sort of like tying together. But you're you're talking about essentially adding like an experiential component to the NFT to like experience it. How the artist saw it. So
1: absolutely. Um, and the layers, it, it's its about layering of context because that all builds up into, I, I think all of that together creates the art itself. This is a nice segue
3: into um, how do you see the world in like five or 10 years, either
1: web three or not? I think I'll, I'll have to kind of shift the lens back to AI. Um, for, for those of us who work regularly with AI, I think I've been kind of sitting with this for quite a bit. Um, there's this idea of whether the machine is sentient, which is really—it's—it's it's often framed as what's this autonomous self-awareness. But I, you know, the more I think about it, because the machine is just subject to the information and patterns that we're that we share with it, I think it can only ever evolve into sentience as much as we do. And honestly, I often question our own sentience as humans, um, mostly because we're just so subject to the limitations of our lens. And I think the machine algorithms really reflect this. Like We hear a lot about algorithmic bias a lot, um, and that's really where it comes from. But I will say the beauty of our increasing entanglement with machines is that we're evolving too. Um, even more so with this feedback loop that now exists between us and the machine. So I think interacting with AI regularly, it, it just regularly reminds me of just how narrow my own lens is. And I don't know about a time frame, but I'd really like to see a world where we're just so much more self-aware of the gaps in our own knowledge and understanding. And I think that's really going to come out of, you know, more ubiquitous and ongoing collaborations with the machine. That's so cool that
3: goes back to like you only see the world with how much you know and our capabilities are so limited um or well we think that our capabilities are so limited (laughs) um but you know I think that will certainly help us broaden um what we know about ourselves and and um
2: what's around us that's that's a great answer yeah yeah and like you said if A year ago, it almost, well, you know, you said arguably it's existed for decades. But if a year ago, it barely existed. I I can't even imagine what it will look like in five years.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the technology and the collaborations are just accelerating so quickly. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see where we are with it five years from now.
2: So to wrap us up, in the beginning, we asked you what... uh, we thought, what you thought others used to describe you. And you said, erotic and terrifying and tender. (laughs) So what do you hope that people take away uh, from this interview about who you are?
1: Um, Hopefully first that I don't gab too much, Um, but really I I, I think it's it's more that I've spent a lot of my life in this in-between space that's really hard to define and much less classify. And I think in, um, you know, through my artistic process and in working with AI, I've found that trying to enforce specificity and classification tends to, like I said before, result in these really unnatural outcomes, especially when it comes to language. And I think this is actually pretty telling when we apply language to our own social structures, because really the the quote unquote objective truths that can be defined by written and spoken language and its classifications often exclude this this really subjective truth of the nonverbal experiences that we have. And I think our confidence in the specificity and classification often just runs counter to this primal drive to seek and understand the unknown. Um, And I think this is really a running thesis to this complicated relationship that I have with language that's really shaped my worldview and my relationship
0: with AI and ultimately my, my artistic process. That's absolutely beautiful. And it kind of ties back to, in, um, to what we were talking about, how sometimes jargon can be a negative thing um, because we as humans are so limited in, in how we take on language or like there's a lot of things like you two as, as um, either bilingual or multilingual uh, speakers have things that you can say in one language that will ring towards what you want to express but not in another language it's not gonna it's not gonna translate right all of these little things are just based off of the words and and the things that have to come out of our mouth and and it's very limiting instead of things like ai and art and and things that are a little bit more expressive it just it kind of it kind of goes past that barrier in a way i think that's really cool
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really great way to sum it
0: up. I like that. Um, okay. So that was all of our questions. This was so amazing. Thank you so much. Hi, Erin. I see you here. It's good. I, we missed, uh, Karen. She just popped in and popped back out, but, um, Connie, I so appreciate you coming in here and, and talking with us and, um, giving us a little bit of a, an input on, or a, a, a vision on who you are and, and your life. And it's been absolutely wonderful to speak with you.
1: This has been such a pleasure. And like I said, thank you so much for making space for me. I am I, really grateful for you all. Um, and, you know, hopefully we get to shoot the breeze again soon. Thank
3: you, thank you so much for your time, Connie.
2: Yes, I think we would all love that. I like so cool that Lindsay met you and that you agreed to talk to us so candidly yeah, I think it was incredible it's really really cool to meet you
1: once again wonderful things ha- happening out of serendipity and meeting
0: yep. Lindsay was definitely one of those yeah definitely definitely thank you so much I so appreciate Thanks. you And actually um Connie I have an idea for an event I'm actually gonna reach out to you about Because some of your your talking just stirred an idea. And Amanda knows that I have really crazy ideas. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes they don't work. But um, I'm going to reach out and see what what you think about this. Sure. Go ahead. Feel free to shoot me a DM. I'd be happy to to give you some feedback. Awesome. All right, my loves. Amazing.
2: Thank you so much, Connie.
0: Thank you, ladies. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody. Bye.